Thanks for tuning in to the Sojourn Church Podcast. We are a church committed to the gospel in the context of family, living on mission to the city of Portland and our world. For more information, visit our website, sojournpdx.org. Well, good morning and happy snowy weekend to everyone. My name is Matt and I'm the lead pastor here at Sojourn Church. And we are so glad that you have chosen to join us this weekend, whether you're a regular or whether this is your very first time. Uh, In fact, if you go ahead to the comment section on Facebook and just let us know where it is you're tuning in from this morning. If you are new and you would like to connect with us further, we would love for you to fill out our digital connect card. Not so we can spam you, but just so we can get to know you a little bit better and so that we'd have the opportunity to get to let you know a little bit more about us at Sojourn and kind of um, some of our rhythms as a church and some of our plans that we have for 2021. Uh, go ahead and open your Bibles to the book of Matthew, uh, chapter 6, where we are going to be picking up in our series, Kingdom Manifesto, uh, where we've been going through uh, the this sermon on the Mount since before Christmas. Now, we did take a break for the Advent season, and then we picked it back up in January. And now we're smack dab in the middle of chapter 6 in what is the most famous and most known section of the most famous sermon of all time, better known as the Lord's Prayer. Uh, This sermon was preached by Jesus himself, and this is how Jesus taught his disciples how to pray. Now, throughout this entire sermon, Jesus has compared and contrasted how it is that the the world or the Pharisees, as the language is used in the New Testament, how they see things and how they would do things. And then he can contrast that to his own followers and how it is that his followers are to do things. And then he moves right into the Lord's Prayer, and he continues comparing and contrasting the way that prayer is uh, said to be done by some, the religious folks, then how it is that we are to actually pray. Jesus says when the Pharisees pray, they, they come in and they pray these big, eloquent, and loud prayers so that everyone will see them and think how spiritual they are and how close they must be to God. But Jesus says, my followers, while you are to pray, you are to pray with boldness, but to pray in private to your Father in heaven. He says our our prayers that are done in secret in our prayer closet on our knees when no one else can see us, that those prayers matter more than the ones that we would do in front of everyone at a gathering like this one. And so Jesus is telling his first followers and Jesus is telling us how it is that we ought to pray, which tells me that we should lean in over these next several weeks and really kind of put an attentive ear and probably take some notes so we can grasp how it is that Jesus modeled and taught us to pray. We see the first three petitions in the Lord's Prayer. They focus on God's name, on God's kingdom, and God's will. And these are prayers that may act in such a way that his people, if you remember back to last week, that that we will hallow his name, that we will praise his name, that we will submit to his reign as we will see this week, and that we will do his will. And so let's look now at verses six through, or sorry, let's look at verses nine through 10 in chapter six of Matthew. Jesus says, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, last week we focused on verse nine. It's uh, up on our website or wherever it is that you consume podcasts. If you didn't hear that message, I would encourage you to go back and listen to it. Or maybe if you just feel like you need a refresher and listen to that. But this weekend, we're going to focus exclusively on verse 10. 
And as we study the Lord's Prayer in its entirety, what we will see is this beautiful picture of how it all works together, how every single part is kind of like a chain that links to the next part. Or I think about the trains that we'll see in our city and how the trains lock together, that the Lord's Prayer works that way. Now, we are going through it slowly on purpose because I want us to see each link in its in kind of its own part and then how they all work together in their entirety. And so just taking these first two verses, we see that when we know God as our Father in heaven, that by knowing him that way, we, we will see that his name is holy and that we will want his will to be done above our will and that we want to see his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. The main point of our sermon this morning is to answer in brief, because we can't answer it in fullness, but in brief, what verse 10 actually means. What does it mean your kingdom come? What does it mean your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? And so in order to answer these questions, we're going we're gonna to answer, we're going to look at a few questions ourselves. The first is, what is the kingdom of God? Have you ever thought just what is this kingdom that we're talking about? We even use that language at Sojourn. We'll say, in, in Portland as it is in heaven, kind of this idea of the kingdom of God coming to earth now. The second question, which is kind of a two-part question, but why and how do we pray for the kingdom? And then the third question is, what does it mean to pray for God's will to be done? And so we don't have much time this morning. And in, in fact, I consider turning this into a two-part sermon, but ultimately decided to do one. Uh, but we are going to kind of pack in a, a good amount of information. And so I, I hope and pray that you'll stick with me. Do whatever you need to do to get locked in. Get, get that second cup of coffee if you need to. Um, close the door wherever it is you're tuning in. If, if there's other family who's not tuning in with you, just so that you can focus on this time. Let's get to work. So our first question, what is the kingdom of God? Now, essentially, the kingdom of God is God's loving rule and reign to his people over everything that exists. And so the kingdom of God would tell a total restoration of creation, because remember at creation, everything fell, and then the redemption of Israel. And so the kingdom of God, or sometimes also referred to as the kingdom of heaven, it entails this idea of an earthly kingdom that will be like the heavenly kingdom. And so when we think about heaven, we know that it's, it's perfect and there's harmony and peace and unity. It's nothing like the world that we live in. And so we are looking for a reflection, a manifestation of that kingdom here in its present time. And so the kingdom of God, it's, it's really like this yearning in all of our hearts. I would say all of humanity, not just Christians, but specifically Christians. Because as you study the Bible, you realize that the kingdom of God is actually a central theme in the Bible. It's beautifully woven throughout the entire word of God. You see it just kind of all throughout. In fact, many Bible scholars believe that this is the thread of the Bible, that this idea of the kingdom of God. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this. He said, it is a kingdom which is to come, yes, but it is also a kingdom which has come. The kingdom of God is among you and within you. The kingdom of God is in every true Christian. He reigns in the church when she acknowledges him truly. The kingdom has come. The kingdom is coming. The kingdom is yet to come. Now we must always bear that in mind. Whenever Christ is enthroned as king, the kingdom of God has come. So that while we cannot say that he is ruling over all in the world at this present time, he is certainly ruling in that way in the hearts and lives of all his people. Now, when we use phrases like king and kingdom in the U.S., 
I think it's kind of hard for us to grasp. We think about kingdoms and kings as something that we've read in history books, or we, we think about the, we get our definition probably from a series on Netflix. But when you study history and when you watch a series on Netflix, it seems like the king always ends up being bad and corrupt. Think of our own history in the U.S. What did we do? We overthrew the king because we wanted freedom. But when we look at God as king, he is a good king. And his kingdom is a good kingdom. And, and in fact, it's an eternal kingdom. And, and his kingdom is one as that perfect kingdom, the only one that's a perfect kingdom. And he is the picture of a perfect king. And so as you think about the idea of the kingdom of God being woven throughout scripture, if you've read the entirety of the Bible, it's, it's bookended. So we, we look at the beginning of the Bible, the first couple chapters in Genesis, and then we look at the end of the Bible and the last couple chapters of Revelation, and both bookends have this concept of the kingdom of God. Genesis 1.26 says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And so we see from the very beginning, there's this connection about being image bearers of God and being those who rule with God. That is what you and I were designed to do. And what we see is that God, from the very beginning, he's calling humanity into a relationship with himself. And so even this morning, I would stop real quick and say, if you are not a Christ follower, if you do not yet know Jesus as your Savior, God is still calling humanity. He's still calling you, and perhaps that's why you're tuning in this morning, that God is inviting you and drawing you to himself. And so if that's you today, please let us know, because we would love the opportunity to walk you to King Jesus. Revelation 21, verses 3 through 5. So now we're looking at the other book in the, the end of the Bible. It says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his holy, or they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. And so here we are all the way at the very end of the Bible, and we see the kingdom language of reigning and ruling. And so we see as image bearers under him, we are called to rule and reign with him. So you see it once again on both bookends. We see it in Genesis and we see it in Revelation. The problem is we only see it in fullness here in these passages. What I mean by that is we see it in fullness in the very beginning and the very end. But everything else in the middle, we see the brokenness. We see what is messed up. We see about this idea of the fall and sin entered the world in Genesis 3. And then we have to look and it points towards God making all things new in Revelation 21. And so we know that, that God has established this kingdom and is establishing this kingdom. We see that God provides prophets and even kings because the people are constantly asking for a king in the Old Testament. And people continue to press against the kingship of God. And if you look at the Bible, essentially the New Testament and the book of Matthew that, that here we are in the Sermon on the Mount is this theme all throughout of, New, of Jesus establishing his kingdom. And so Jesus, when he comes onto the scene, he's always talking about the kingdom. 
We see Jesus has miracles that he performs. Well, what is he doing there? He is showing us that the kingdom of God is powerful and that this power is available to you. We see that his teaching is often done in parables. Why does he do that? Well, he's using parables to explain the nature of the kingdom of God because he knew there was no other way he could get it. And even the parables, oftentimes we miss it still. We see that he preaches as the son of God, as a manifestation of the new kingdom. And so everything about Jesus, his life and how he walked and lived and the miracles he did and how he taught, it all points to the coming kingdom of God. And so the second question then, why and how are we to pray for the kingdom of God? So our first question, once again, was what is the kingdom of God? Hopefully we've established that. So our second question being, why and how are we to pray for the kingdom of God? We pray for the kingdom of God because the world is in a state of disrepair. And we feel the weight of the fall from Genesis 3. Once again, the beginning in Genesis 1 and 2, we have this, we have this hope and we see this beautiful picture of this perfect harmony of the first man and the first woman walking with God in the garden. But here's what we get to live with. We get to live with the reality of Genesis 3. And if you're new to the Bible, and you're not familiar with what I'm talking about. Uh, the short of it is that God created the world. It was perfect. And there was perfect harmony between man and between woman and between God. And they rebelled against God. They disobeyed. And ever since that time, something we refer to as the fall, uh, we've all been affected by sin and that we all are born sinners ourselves. And so while that picture is beautiful in Genesis 1 and 2, we live in the mess and the reality and the brokenness of Genesis 3. And when we see injustices today, present day, we, we see those pains. And we know that things are not the way that they were supposed to be. When we experience things such as diseases, whether it's us or a family member or someone that we know, when we hear stories about kids being abused, we know that's wrong. When, when divorce happens, we know that's not how God designed marriage. When racism takes place, we know that God designed all of us equal in his eyes and that that is wrong. When sex trafficking happens, we know that that is not how God designed there to, to be for individuals and so on and so forth. And so we have to live in that mess and that reality of Genesis 3. But we look towards Revelation 21 for the coming kingdom of God and how it is supposed to be and how things will be restored back to the harmony that it was supposed to be. And so as Christians, citizens of the kingdom of God, we know and we trust that while we live in this mess, that God is restoring all things, which is why we pray, your kingdom come. So why do we pray for the kingdom of God? Because we know that God will bring the kingdom and we ask for him to do it now. We ask for him to do it sooner. Because if you're like me, I'm tired of living in the reality of Genesis 3. I long for the perfection of the coming kingdom. But we pray for it because we know that God is true to his promises and that God will deliver and God will bring his kingdom. We know that one day God will return. He will make everything that's wrong right in the world and it will be on earth, even in Portland as it is in heaven. And when that day comes, all diseases will be gone. Children will no longer suffer abuse. Divorce will be done with. Racism will cease to exist. Financial strife will be over. Unjust rulers will be done and Christians will no longer be persecuted for their faith. Man, I need to get an amen, but there's no one in the room with me. So I'll just give it to myself. Amen. We long for that day when all things that are wrong in this world and the brokenness and all the crap that we deal with will be done forever. 
It's this idea of longing for heaven. You know, I've gotten to this, this place. It, it almost kind of sounds morbid when I think about it, but whenever there's someone who I know is a Christian, and I know a man recently who unfortunately got COVID-19, and it was pretty quick, within a couple of weeks. He's in the hospital, and he gets put on ventilation, and everything happens, gets on life support, and ends up passing away. And while that's very sad for his wife and sad for those who knew him, anytime that happens in the last several years, I just think, man, he's no longer dealing with any of this. He's no longer dealing with the effects of the fall. He's no longer dealing with COVID-19. He's no longer dealing with racism in America. He's no longer dealing with elections and politics. And he's no longer just any of it. And there's just a yearning that I have inside. I'm not saying that I want to die anytime soon. In fact, I want to grow old and get to see my kids grow and do all those things. But man, there's just this yearning of knowing that, man, he's already starting to experience in more fullness than we can hear the kingdom of God. And so when we pray your kingdom come, it should give us a purpose, but also a longing for what is to come. And this is the prayer of the sojourner as we recognize that this world isn't our home, but it is in one to come. Martin Luther summed it up really, really short for us. He said, prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance because you might be thinking, well, God can make this happen, right? But prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance, but laying hold of God's willingness. And so that's what we're doing when we pray for God's kingdom to come. The third question is, what does it mean to pray for God's will to be done? So we've prayed for his kingdom to come, and we've defined that and what it is and how we do it and why we do it. But what does it mean for God's will to be done? Because the second part of that verse is, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so this third petition speaks of God's will. Now, this means God's revealed will, which involves conduct that is pleasing to him as revealed in Scripture. And so just as God's will is perfectly experienced in heaven, Jesus prays that it will be experienced here on earth. That the will of God is expressed only fully when God's kingdom comes in its final form, when Christ returns in his power in great glory, but it will increasingly be seen in this age as well. D.A. Carson says to pray that God's will, which is good, pleasing, and perfect, be done on earth as in heaven is to use language broad enough to embrace three requests. Their first request is that God's will be done now on earth as it is now accomplished in heaven. So far that it will be done includes both moral obedience and the bringing to pass of certain events such as the cross. This prayer corresponds to asking for the present extension of the messianic kingdom. The second request is that God's will ultimately be as fully accomplished on earth as it is now accomplished in heaven. Will as the same range of meaning as before and that this prayer corresponds to asking for the consummation of the messianic kingdom. And the third request is that God's will may ultimately be done on earth in the same way it is now accomplished in heaven. And so when I look at these two parts of verse 10, it's critical that we pray for God's kingdom to come because otherwise, if we're not recognizing God as king, it's going to be really hard for us to pray the second part of the verse, that his will would be done. And so why does Jesus pray, we want your will to be done if God is sovereign? It's going to happen no matter what, right? So why, why do we need to pray this if, if God's going to accomplish it anyway? Well, here's why. And hopefully you can stick with me here. In the original languages, and so in the Greek, the, the phrase God's will be done would be literally you praying this. God, I don't want what I want. I want what you want. And so this prayer is enacting God's will for your life. 
This is a prayer where you are surrendering to God's will in your life. Matthew 6.10, on earth as it is in heaven, it's the extent to which you want God's will done in your life by praying this. And so essentially, this is what you're praying when you pray that. It's, you're praying that in the same ways that the angels in heaven are about your every word, I too, God, want to be about your will and your every word in my life. Now, here's the reality of that. It sounds really easy, right? God, let your will be done. God, if it's your will, let me get this job. God, if it's your will, let me marry this person I'm dating. God, if it's your will, let our church grow. God, if it's your will, let my kids raise up to love you. Like all these things. It sounds easy enough. But the reality is that this is the one of the most radical, gut-wrenching prayers that you can ever pray in your life. Let me explain it. If you're a Christian listening this morning, and I ask you, if you want God's will to be done in your life, I guarantee, without fail, every single one of you would say, yes, Matt, absolutely, I want God's will to be done in my life. So here's the thing, church. The vast majority of us, I'd say the vast majority of Christians in the United States would say, I want God's will for my life. But here's what happens, and I've watched it happen time and time again. We say, I want God's will done in my life until your will of your life doesn't line up with God's will for your life. And this is why Jesus tells us to pray this prayer, because he knows that sometimes, oftentimes, our wills will be contrary to God's will for our life. So this is where the rubber meets the road. Are you willing to actually posture your heart and submit to the will of God in your life? Or is it that you want your will more than God's will in your life? Because if you actually pray this prayer, what you're praying is, God, I don't want what I want. I want what you want. And by praying that prayer, this is proof that you want God's name to be hallowed in your life. If you remember last week, hallowed being that word that you know, praise your name. And so if you actually want God's name to be holy and you're recognized as holy, then it works in line with verse 10 of you praying, God, I don't want what I want. I want what you want. And by you getting what you want, your will in my life, your name will be hallowed. And so you can pray all day long that you want God's name to be hallowed, but the proof and evidence would be praying a prayer with this posture. And so think about it this way. Maybe you're in a marriage and many things just aren't going the way that you want. I've met people. I've heard stories. I've seen family heartbreak where unfortunately just one spouse decided, I just don't want to be married anymore. I just woke up one day and I'm just not feeling it. There's no infidelity. There's no biblical grounds or means for divorce. They just simply decided that, you know, I'm just not really feeling this whole family thing anymore. I'm not really feeling this husband and wife thing anymore. And they just want to get out of the marriage. But... If you are praying this prayer, God, I don't want what I want because that person wants to get out of the marriage. I want what you want. Then they would submit their will to God's will and they would ultimately stay in that marriage. Maybe you're dating and you're a believer and you're, you're tempted to go beyond what you should sexually with the person that you're dating. And so in that moment, you have a decision to make. You can, you're, if you pray this prayer, your posture is, God, I don't want what I want, even though my, my sex drive does want it. I don't want what I want. I want what you want. God, I'm just going to submit to your will, and I'm going to wait because I want to be pure in your eyes. And I want what you want. Remember, I mentioned the Lord's Prayer is like a chain, and the chain that links each, each part of it together, and every part is connected, and you can't pray one without the other. 
And so here's the reality with praying, God, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's easy to walk into a worship gathering and raise your hands and sing at the top of your lungs and to shout for joy and to pray, but it is quite another to actually pray this prayer. We've had a number of people come through the doors of sojourn in our short history, and they've done just that. I've watched them come in. I've watched them raise their hands. I've watched them have the right answers, and they have the head knowledge. But, man, they just walk away because ultimately they choose what they want. They choose their will over God's will, and they walk away from it. Like I said, it's really easy to to repeat something, to say something, and to raise your hands. But to actually pray this prayer. This is gut-wrenching. This is really hard. This is radical. This is, this is radical Christianity to pray a prayer like this. And by Jesus praying this prayer, Jesus himself was able to walk in complete obedience to God. What do I mean by that? Jesus prayed this prayer even to the point of death on a cross. I'm convinced that if Jesus had not prayed this prayer, he would have not been able to go to the cross. And so Jesus is not only telling us to pray this prayer, Jesus himself had to pray this prayer. Jesus lived this prayer out. Jesus said, God, if there's any other way, please take this cup and pass it from me. God, if you can do it a different way. But God, not what I want, what you want. And only God said, I want to send you to the cross on behalf of the sins of the world. That includes you and that includes me this morning. That includes the city of Portland. That includes our state of Oregon and the nation and the world. And what do we see Satan do? Satan follows Jesus in the wilderness to tempt him. But why does why Satan want to do that? Because he's trying to trip Jesus up. He's trying to get Jesus to disobey God. It's the same thing that Satan does to us every time he tempts us. He wants to submit to our will and not to God's will. Now, why does Satan want Jesus to sin so bad? I mean, you know, Jesus is Jesus. Like, why, why, why does Satan want to get him tripped up so bad? Because if Jesus would have sinned, if Jesus would have given in to any of those temptations, and I can just imagine how annoying Satan is. Like that person just keeps tapping you on the shoulder or just keeps asking you questions. Like I can see Jesus being like, man, I just want to shut the guy up. You know, I don't, I don't want to give in sin, but I'm just going to shut him up. I'm going to, I'm going to turn the rock into a loaf of bread or I'm going to do, the, do whatever, you know, these things to shut him up. But G- Satan knew and Jesus knew that if Jesus were to sin, he would no longer qualify as a substitute, as a substitute for our sin. Because in order for Jesus to qualify as a substitute for your sin and my sin, he had to be sinless. A perfect substitute was the only thing that would appease God for us sinners. And so in order that we could receive his righteousness and have a restored relationship with God, Jesus had to be perfect. And he was. He was the perfect substitute because Satan never tripped him up. Now remember the the bookend of Revelation 21. We looked at those two on the, the Genesis on, on the one side and Revelation on the other and how life is supposed to be. Well, Revelation 21.1 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. Do you want to know how the Apostle John responds to this vision at the end of Revelation? His response was, Come quickly, Lord Jesus. We long for this world to be how it should be. I would say that's a prayer of our hearts. The prayer of our hearts should be, come quickly, Lord Jesus. We long for this world to be how it should be. And so while we wait for that day to come, we can wait confidently because we know that it is coming one day. We know that one day all things will be made new because God is already working now on earth as it is in heaven as he's restoring all things 
back to himself. And so Sojourn Church, we too are to pray this way. We are to pray that the good news of the kingdom will go forth in Concordia and Alberta and Portland. We are to pray for the afflicted to be healed, for the houseless in our city to be provided for, for the end of racism, for the end of human trafficking. And finally, we pray that the fame of God might grow so that the people of God would know him rightly. And it would not be God of our our own imagination, but we would know God for who God is. And in many ways, what we do week in and week out, I know it's been horrible, I have to do this online, but even that, what we do week in and week out as a church, in some ways, this is like practice. In some ways, this is a dress rehearsal for all of eternity. We'll be around the throne of King Jesus and raising our hands and singing his praise to him as all humanity has been restored back to him and how it should be. And so we're gonna pray for that. We're gonna pray for God's kingdom to come. We're gonna pray for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, but specifically on earth in Portland as it is in heaven. We're gonna pray that for our lives, for your life, for my life. We're gonna pray that for our families. We're gonna pray that for sojourn. We're gonna pray that for our city. We're gonna pray that for our nation and we're gonna pray that for our world. And so let me finish our message this morning by doing just that, praying for these things. Pray with me, church. God, we just want to come to you. God, we want to pray for your kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. God, that your kingdom would come in the city of Portland. And God, that your will would be done. God, not what I want, but what you want. Not what Sojourn wants, but what you want. And so God, we pray for your kingdom to come and for your will to be done in our lives. God, I pray that for the people of Sojourn. I pray that for our church as we continue to rebuild in 2021. I pray that for our city, God. I pray that for our nation. I pray that for our world. God, that your kingdom come, that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And God, may that be the posture of our hearts as we continue on on this journey of learning what it means to follow you and to follow you faithfully, Jesus. It's in your name we pray and by your power, in your name, Jesus. We love you. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. We'd love to hear how God is working in your life. You can connect with us and find more available teachings and resources at our website, sojournpdx.org.